Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and um, if there, God forbid, if there are children listening right now, or if there is a child who is tuning in to their podcast somewhere, I don't know, I don't understand the world. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. Let me first begin by saying that today's episode, we will be looking at, you thought that I was going to say is sponsored by, didn't you? We will be looking at AEW from this past week of... 12-17-2021, and then we will be looking at a Monday Night Raw episode from 12-18 of 2000. I feel like that I was interrupted, so I'm going to say that again. A Monday Night Raw episode from 12-18 of 2000, because I don't know if you guys heard the backup or the um background noise over me or whether or not the background noise took over what it was that I was trying to say. My cats are alive and they want to let you know about it. So they're being little dicks tonight. Isn't that wonderful? Jumping all over the place and being like, oh, look what I can do. Ten backflips and and a, a cat attack. Nonetheless, the opening contest for AEW Rampage featured Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, known as Super Click, and for those of you who get that one, really funny, because alone the Young Bucks are Super Kick, and the Click, if you'll understand the reference, that Adam Cole is is poking fun at WWE. It's really clever. Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, known only as the Super Click, and Adam Cole and Bobby Fish, who are two-fourths of a group known as Undisputed Era. At the same time, I'm sure that they've had many different tag team names over the years in places like Ring of Honor. I don't know if they ever were a tag team in Ring of Honor. I would like to think that they were because I feel like that there was a rivalry that stemmed from them being a tag team and then one of them maybe got bitter from the other one. Um, And had that been the case, that would set up for the perfect rivalry you know former best friends now uh, worst better enemies you know however that works this match was all over the place though oh I only told you half of the participants Bobby Fish um, the Young Bucks Adam Cole Bobby Fish versus Orange Cassidy best friends and Rocky Romero. Best friends, of course, being Chuck Taylor and um, um, Trent. Um, can't remember Trent's last name. I'm, I'm very sorry. But Chuck Taylor and Trent were known as best friends back in Ring of Honor. And, um, of course, they are the best friends. In this subset of tag teams though Orange Cassidy and um, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor are known as Just Friends and um, Rocky Romero and Trent also was a tag team in NJP is what uh, Excalibur says on the uh, commentary table so had that been the case you've got three to four in this eight-man tag, you've got three to four uh, different groups. So that's what you call tag team chemistry. And that's how you book a multi-man match, in case you didn't know. Um, The multi-man match has to have people who can 
uh, play off of each other's strengths. And for that matter, you can have someone, if not at least one or two people in the ring at the same time who is going to have a history together. One of my favorite parts of this match, as a matter of fact, was whenever Trent was going for what seemed to be an over-the-top, uh, an over-the-top, um, suicide dive or, or something of that nature. He was going for something like that, but, um, before Trent could ever make it, the camera pans out like wide shot and it shows nothing but the ring and like all of the audience members. And then, um, before Trent can do anything, Chuck Taylor comes into the ring and he says, wait, and then he stops Trent and then he gives him a hug. And then the camera all of a sudden just big old, uh, just zoom in shot of Trent and Chuck Taylor hugging. I swear, this entire match was everywhere at all times. Was all over the place, especially whenever the... I think it was Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson got into the ring and was trying to work over Orange Cassidy, and they had this great exchange of just... um, Jackson would jump, and then Cassidy would uh, jump over him, or uh, leap for... Whenever... Jackson would do the leapfrog, uh, Cassidy would go under him, and then afterwards, Cassidy, after going under him, would, um, plank to the ground, and then Nick Jackson would, uh, fly over Cassidy, and then they just had beautiful chemistry, and I know I'm getting super excited talking about it, but it was one of the most beautiful things you will ever see in your life. It is a simple wrestling match. It is a simple wrestling mechanic to have so many tag teams in one match. So many tag teams in one match, but at the same time, having them not be boggled down by all kinds of rivalries or anything like that. This was just a playful way to start and for that matter, this was a playful way to uh, just just a playful opener, if you will. And they were just used as to open the show, but it almost doesn't get any better than that. Because they're, every segment here that I was telling you about is extremely entertaining to watch. Because Cassidy's hard to keep up with. You got him going left and right, and then he's ducking and dodging all of his opponents, and he's um, ducking one person, and then the next minute he's leapfrogging the other person, and he's walking the, the rope, as the Undertaker would call it, um, old school, but uh, Cassidy wasn't necessarily doing the old school because he didn't have one arm and he wasn't trying to barrel down on, on Nick Jackson's um, shoulder. But rather, Cassidy was doing was he was he would arm drag Nick Jackson and then Nick Jackson would Irish whip Orange Cassidy and then Cassidy would uh, uh, just plank on the ground and then Nick Jackson would jump over uh, Orange Cassidy and then he would try to do like a, a senton flip onto Cassidy but then Cassidy would once again plank onto the ground and then once Cassidy got up he would leapfrog over Nick Jackson it was like it was like a well choreographed a well choreographed ballet dance because it was so beautiful and it was such a great art. But nonetheless, I spent probably too much time talking about that match. But it was beautiful. I just... I lost my breath one too many times watching that match. And it was just the opener. Five out of start. Five out of five stars, nonetheless. 
I gave it a perfect rating because I feel as though that it deserves the perfect rating that it's very deserving of. Now, last week and the week before, we talked about women's wrestling. How most women's wrestling goes unheard of and unseen and stuff of that nature. And I'm really glad that they decided to do a different woman's match. Um, This, though, it just seemed like a filler match, just almost like that they just had to um, say, oh, we got to put a match on the card. Anybody want to, you know, want a match? And then Aubrey Edwards said, oh, can I referee a match? And then whoever the booker is, I'm going to say Tony Khan, said, sure. And then he put two women into a match. Because this one almost has no no merit to it, unless you count the fact that they were talking about how Penelope Ford, um, or the bunny, rather, uh, hit, um, hit Tay Conte in the face with, um, I'm sorry, it's Ty Conte, isn't it? Hit, uh, Ty Conte in the face with a, um, brass knuckle. Which, if that's the case, you'd figure that the bunny would be facing Tay Conte and not Penelope Ford. But, nonetheless, one little nitpick aside, this match wasn't too entertaining, it wasn't too exhilarating. You know, in a match such as a submissions match, but in all fairness, this is the first submissions match that I've ever uh, seen from the women. Usually, you'll see this, you'll see a technical wrestling submissions match wrestled by two men. And for that matter, usually it's something like, oh, Chris Jericho versus Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, or Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho. <clears throat> because they're both, or they're all three, uh, technical, savvy wrestlers. Let me take you back to a um, Backlash. I, I forget the year, but it was probably 2002, because we already reviewed Backlash 2001, and I know for sure that it wasn't Backlash 2000 either. Had that been the case... In this particular Backlash pay-per-view, you see Kurt Angle face off against the, um, at the time, Benoit called himself the greatest technical wrestler in the world. And those were his exact words. He didn't call himself the best in the world. He called himself the greatest technical wrestler in the world, and Benoit had a chance to prove it against the Olympic gold medalist because Kurt Angle never shuts up about those Olympic gold medals, but he pretty much proved it, but there was a low-hanging fruit. They were both tied um, two submissions apiece, I think it was. No, no, Benoit had the lead, two to one. That's what happened. Benoit had the lead 2-1, to one, if I remember um, the highlights that i seen a few years ago because I never actually watched the match itself. But the point is, and don't worry, there is a point. It doesn't, I'm just not rambling about utter nonsense because, of course, I want to talk about, you know, Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns, the fact that he fired him. Of course, I want to talk about different things other than just, oh, it, on this day, on this week, 12 years ago, we're going to talk about something that's not relevant, you know? <clears throat> of course, I want to talk about other relevant uh, content because that is content. Okay, but anyway, after the bell rang, because there was an ultimate submissions match between um, Kurt Angle and Benoit, 
Benoit tapped after the bell rang, and Kurt Angle says that the point should have been awarded to him and that they should have went into sudden death. But instead, um, Benoit was awarded the winner, the win rather, and Benoit was given his due credit. And everybody just called Kurt Angle a crybaby for the longest time just because of it. Nonetheless, I've never seen a woman's submissions match before. So that's something new, and I don't remember, is what I should say. I don't remember seeing a woman's submissions match ever in my life except for this one right here. And like I said, nothing crazy really happened. Nothing crazy really took place. Um, nothing memorable actually happened except after the match when the bunny once again hits Tay Conte with the um, brass knucks. So it's going to pain me to say this because I was talking about for two weeks now I've just been going on and on and on about a woman's revolution and how... Uh, women in professional wrestling are disrespected and how they're under underworked and underappreciated and it took them it took WWE for that matter I won't say them it took WWE so long before they actually gave um <clears throat> before they actually gave uh women an actual main event in wrestling and for that matter even though the main event was good and it was a great main event because it basically solidified um, the women as top players, a lot of us already knew that the women were top players and we didn't need WWE to tell us that. We didn't need WWE to be like, oh, I guess we're going to do what's... Um, popular and i'm putting that in air quotes we're going to do what's popular what the fans want now that we can and we're going to give the women an actual main event match but remember it's a one time in 20 years thing it's going to be the first time ever you know that's what they were dangling in your face the fact that they were making history even though they could have done it years prior they chose not to take AEW for example who has done it years prior they had a match with Britt Baker DMD your role model Britt Baker facing off against Thunder Rosa if I remember correctly and um Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker DMD Baker got put through a table. She was bleeding profusely. Baker stole the show. Let's put it that way. Baker Thunder Rosa stole the show that night. And that's more than WWE can do. Or at least has done with their women's division. <clears throat> But if you compare the two matches, Charlotte Flair may have done a um, one of the craziest moonsaults that I've ever seen in the match that was the WrestleMania match. There may have been so many near falls. There may have been so many um, lost opportunities and, for that matter, so many spots that maybe I'm missing out on. I'm missing because... I'm drawing a fog in my brain from those highlights a little bit because it was so long ago, not because I didn't see it and I'm just trying to pretend like I did see it, but women's wrestling is my point. It goes underappreciated, it goes under the radar, 
not a lot of people think about it. Whenever they think about wrestling, they think about um, Ric Flair. They think about Hulk Hogan. Whenever you mention wrestling to a wrestling fan, they never go, oh, yeah, Fabulous Moolah. Huh. She was women's champion for 10 years. No. Nobody ever thinks about that. They think, didn't Hulk Hogan do a movie about a wrestling thing? Wasn't it called Ready to Rumble? You know, like, they think something abstract that has to do with male professional wrestling. Nonetheless, once again, talk about it for too long, I suppose. I do apologize for the ramble. A little bit of a... um. Uh, off topic, if you will. Let's talk about Roman Reigns. He fired. He fired Paul Heyman. You see why well, that's interesting. You know why that's interesting? Is because he's become so much of a heel now that he no longer needs the heel manager in order to put him over. Now, Granted, Reigns was never really over. What I mean by over is over as a heel. Not over as in you're, you're chanting. Because no one chants Roman. No one cheers for Roman Reigns, really. But they don't want to see him lose, either. It becomes apparent that they don't want to see him lose because of his his bravado. His um Instagram his merchandise sales, his, um, just everything that, that Roman has accomplished and done, nobody wants to see that just fizzle into mediocrity again. You know, Becky Lynch said that Roman Reigns coming back from leukemia treatments is an inspiration to her. She said that on... One of those damn websites that I follow on Instagram. Nonetheless, the main event was almost just as good as the opening contest. Because the submissions match, as I said, if I... Yeah, I don't remember saying this. got two out of five stars. Um, and it hurts me to say that. I wanted to give it two and a half stars, but I couldn't find a redeeming quality to give it a half star for, really. Um, but it was entertaining at times. Watching all of the back and forth between Ty Conte and Penelope Ford, just watching the, the forward, the backward, and the ups and the downs, almost like Dragon Sleeper, and then... Ty Conte gets hit with a backbreaker, I think. <clears throat> and then Dragon Sleeper again. It was a fast-paced match. And that's what I liked about it. But that's about it. Now, the next one is once again a multi-man match not many singles matches but the last one was a the first ever women's submissions match that I'd seen in either forever or either like um, the first time probably seeing a woman's submission match the Lucha Brothers Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz versus Daniel Garcia, the acclaimed, and 2.0. You get out of here. Talking to my cat. But nonetheless, this one was high-flying action. It was uh, off the walls at times. The interactions with Penta Jr. and um, the Lucha Brothers, holy crap, he is a Lucha Brother, 
Um, the interactions with um, Ray Phoenix Jr. and and um, Penta Jr. was the highlights of this match because they are the AEW Tag Team Champions, and it shows in a lot of a lot of their their movements in a lot of their high flying action and a lot of abilities that these two possess is really something to look at and then say wow these two are well what they are is entertaining This match had an upset, though. I was expecting the Lucha Brothers, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz to take the win. And in reality, Garcia gets the he get he gets the upset on Eddie Kingston by grabbing his tights, and it looked like it was A last-minute call, maybe, by a referee to, um, instead of stopping the three count, it looks like that somebody messed up. Because there was a momentary pause where Kingston looks at the referee and then he says, What? He was like, What? And then all of a sudden... The referee looking at both Kingston and Garcia. He didn't know whether to ring the bell. He was kind of like. Looking at the both of them. And then wondering. Okay do I ring the bell now? And and then he makes like. Almost like a, a seven. Or a three and a half. Maybe four and a half. A second decision to go. Just just ring the bell. Just go with it. Just ring the bell. <laughs> and then they ring the bell. But speaking of botches. The um, Chris Jericho match. That we're about to discuss. Here in just a minute. Versus Perry Saturn. Had quite a botch in it. Or at least a. Almost botch. Now, as I said, <clears throat> that was on, that was an AEW Rampage on 12-17-21. Most of you are probably wondering why there was only three matches on that card. Even though, well, there was one other thing, but it didn't get left on the piece of paper that I have. Dan Lambert returned with the men of the year and the men of the year all ego Adam Page and uh, Scott, Scorpio Sky I almost said Virgil and I don't know why Scorpio Sky and all ego Adam Page the men of the year um, well, they came out and just brand their mouth a little bit, um, about Tony Khan and how, if you're his friend, then you're probably going to get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity instead of the people who deserve it, uh, getting these opportunities other people who don't deserve it are getting it handed to them. <clears throat> how Tony Khan is two-faced and how um, he's got, he's wearing a lot of hats or um, if, if you don't like what Tony Khan does, then I guess that just makes you uncultured and how Tony Khan is going to run this company into the ground because he's going to make it the new WCW is practically all of the things that Dan Lambert was saying about Tony Khan and then Cody Rhodes shows up because he starts talking about the Rhodes dynasty or the Rhodes family 
And whenever Rhodes shows up, the only thing they do really is just swap microphones. And Cody keeps taking the microphone, trying to say something, but it looks like either Dan Lambert's not letting him talk, or um, he's looking around for a crowd reaction. And they keep applauding him. So maybe he was waiting for them to get restless for a minute. But nonetheless, what I mean to say is that that wasn't too interesting. You just see uh, Sammy Guevara come out and help uh, Cody while he's getting the two-on-one beatdown. And it's interesting because Guevara will be facing Cody Rhodes in the TNT Championship title match. Which is a match that Sammy asked for. Okay, aside from me trying to get my cat to stop, we're at the second half of this show, so I'm going to go ahead and try to wrap it up. 12-18-2000, Monday Night Raw. Okay, so it starts off with a recap of last week's SmackDown after... After Foley refuses to uh, resign slash quit. Okay, so not resign, resign. Last week we talked about what happened. Um, on the um, December 11th year 2000 episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, I, however, don't or haven't watched the SmackDowns after this. So anyway, it shows a recap of SmackDown after uh, Mick Foley doesn't resign. As I said, we talked about that last week, though. <clears throat> Where Vince wants a divorce from Linda. Now, on the uh, episode of SmackDown... He says, Linda, I want a divorce. And he mostly says this right after Linda says, I have full confidence in Mick Foley and all of his decisions, and I'm rendering all of my power. And her power was as um, the CEO of the company, which I do believe her and Vince had half and half power, so that's that's what the... um, story was Vince wants a divorce from Linda after she sides with Mick Foley uh Vince finds finds out that his wife has been has been rushed to the ER and Vince smiles fade into the raw the raw intro Vince gets into the ring to start the show and then Kurt Angle comes out to berate Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon comes out shortly before Kurt Angle does and um, starts saying stuff like you're a horrible father, you're a horrible man, you know Vince, I I can't believe that you would do this to to poor mom to poor Linda oh poor me, you know And Vince basically lays it on thick for Stephanie and tells her that she's nothing but a gold digger and so is her mom and, you know, you're nothing but a bunch of rich bitches and you guys are the reason that Linda had her um, emotional breakdown. And, you know, this is all to set up for their WrestleMania match, believe it or not. I know that I said that this takes place in December, but it was clear build to what was known as WrestleMania 2000. Because there, you would have a fatal four-way match for the WWF Championship where Mick Foley would face off against The Rock, who would face off against Triple H, who would face off against the big show I forget who the champion was for that match but I think it was Triple H 
it became abundantly clear that McFoley wasn't going to win that match because he talked about retirement in a book that he wrote before um before that match was ever announced. Anyway, had that been the case, Vince lays it on thick for Stephanie. Um Then Foley comes out. And Foley tells Foley tells both McMahons, especially Vince, that he's quote the lowest form of life, even lower than garbage. He said that last week he called him the lowest form of garbage, but that would be an insult to garbage. Basically comes out and says something along the lines of, You, Vince, are just the lowest form. You're like a slug. All you do is you just wither, you know? Mick Foley on the microphone. And Kurt Angle, as I said, comes out and he says, How dare you? How dare you, Stephanie McMahon? How dare you, Stephanie McMahon, disrespect your father this way? Yeah, it was kind of a swerve, too, because whenever you go back and watch it on the 12-18-2000 episode of Raw, um, it's just golden, that segment is, between Kurt Angle. Because he's sitting there and then he's talking about... It's almost like Angle spends a good three minutes, five minutes just goading the crowd into thinking that he's talking to Vince McMahon, and then he turns around and says, Stephanie! <laughs> but, um, anyway, had that been the case, Foley comes out, and then he basically tells Kurt Angle that, oh, really? Is that truly how you feel, Kurt? Then, I know, Kurt, I know one uh, Raw superstar, WWE superstar, that you haven't faced in the ring, in the World Wrestling Federation. And then, Kurt looking at Mick Foley practically thinking, what more could you do, Mick? What more could you do? Because you already booked me in a six-man Hell in a Cell match. Before that, you booked me in a four-way elimination-style type match. He was basically trying to ask, what is it? What exactly is it, Mick Foley, that you could do to me because you've already done booking wise you've already done everything and anything possible to try to stop me from retaining my championship but it's not gonna work Foley but this is a long like intro as far as like Vince coming out everyone else coming out everybody getting in their crap Because the first match doesn't start until like 25 minutes into WWE Monday Night Raw. Because it's nothing but a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of uh, he said, she said backwards and forwards just to build a story for WrestleMania. And honestly, that was, back then, the most entertaining thing that you could find on professional wrestling today. Or rather, back then. Whenever it felt personal, whenever it felt like it was hard-hitting action and like no one was missing a beat, everyone was placing the blame on someone else, and in the next segment, you would see something that you thought, oh my god, was that supposed to be on TV? Because there was a moment when Vince McMahon said, my wife is in a coma, 
And then after that, he gives some sinister-looking smile. Not into the camera. Into... Anyway, not into the camera. He doesn't smile. It's into the mirror looking at himself. <clears throat> Nonetheless, what I mean to say is that this culminates in tonight's main event. Tonight's main event for the episode of December 18th, 2000, Monday Night Raw. Which is where Kurt Angle, as I said, starts asking, what could you possibly do to me, Mick Foley, that you haven't already? And then Foley says, well, you're going to be defending your title tonight, Kurt. And it's not going to be against anyone that you've already faced. Matter of fact, there's one mean bastard in the WWF that you haven't faced. It's not The Undertaker. He tells him it's not Kane. He tells him it's not Snitsky. He looks at him and then he says, It's not me. You know, he, he basically lays it on thick for Vince McMahon, for... Kurt Angle by saying it's Vince McMahon and then Angle's just freaking out the entire night he's like okay Mick okay fine I, I guess I gotta face Vince McMahon and if that's what I gotta do later on there would be a there would be like a, a backstage segment between a backstage segment between Vince McMahon and um, Kurt Angle where Angle is basically like trying to talk Vince out of it. He's he's like, but Vince is having none of it. McMahon is like, what do you think of this, Kurt? Mr. McMahon, chairman, WWE champion, WWF champion. And then Kurt's like, with all due respect, sir, I'm not going to lay down for you. So, like I said, it's... How do I say this? It's kind of hard to fathom this, but 25 minutes into Monday Night Raw, or 20 minutes almost, like 18 and a half minutes, we get our first contest. Where? Before the first contest, after they come back from commercial. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back from commercial, says Jim Ross. In a backstage segment, Matt Hardy gets censored. You know, it's it's funny. He gets censored for saying something along the lines of that punk beep. So I'm assuming that he said like that chicken shit or that punk ass or something along the lines of that. When talking about Chris Benoit. And then we come to that match. It's an Intercontinental Championship match. And Benoit makes quick work of Jeff Hardy. For a second there I thought I put on my notes. Jeff Barty. Um, but I, my H looks like a B. B-R-D. Nonetheless. Um, Kurt asks Edge, Edge and Christian to talk to Mick Foley. To use their uh, quote Canadian charm. To help with, to help win him over. And Billy Gunn is uh, beyond mad about what the right to censor did to China. If you'll remember, I told you that China got Spike Power Drive. She got a Spike Power Driver thanks to uh, Val Venus and Ivory. Thanks to the right to censor. The Dudleys and Billy Gunn versus right to censor. Right to Censor was represented on this night by Bull Buchanan, the good father, White Sox. By the way, I figured out who that is. They keep calling him White Sox, but it's um, Stevie Richardson. Three out of five stars for that match. Um, okay, okay. The Tag Team Championships... Okay, so after um, Kurt Angle and Edge, or rather Edge and Christian go in, ENC go in to uh, try to 
talk to they try to go in to talk to Mick Foley and it turns out that Foley was kind of like hey you guys brought your kazoos do you care to play us some music of course talking about him and Deborah and then they were kind of like getting the vibe that Edge and Christian were kind of like getting the vibe that Mick Foley thinks the third joke and then he said what are you talking about we're not we're tag team champions we're not just some side act some Louis Baton joke so of course <clears throat> so of course Mick Foley um, hearing that says okay well then prove to me that you're not a joke how about tonight? You put your tag team championships up on the line. And then they're like, oh, yeah, right. I mean, we've already beaten every tag team there is that the WWF has. Who possibly, Mick Foley, who possibly could you put us up against that we haven't already destroyed? And the answer to that question is going to surprise you. The Rock... And The Undertaker face off against E&C, Edge, and Christian. This match was beautiful. It was hard-hitting. It was back-and-forth action. There were kip-ups. There were, um, there were miss, misses, hits. There were uh, leapfrogs. High-flying action at times, hard-hitting action at times. Um, it was just beautiful. Probably, if not the best match on this card tonight. Yep. Matter of fact, it was the best match on this card tonight. Because Benoit and Jeff Hardy only got two out of five stars. This right here was beautiful. We got four out of five stars, and we seen new tag team champions. That was something that I was expecting not to see. But, but imagine the the tag team though. If they were to hold it for a a long time, The Rock and The Undertaker sounds like a mismatch of a duo. Anyway. Back to the botch that I was telling you about earlier. Chris Jericho and Perry Saturn. I had to go back and watch this one again. Just the botch. I went back around 10 or 20 seconds so that I could see Jericho almost hit his... Almost hit his head. Um, trying to perform some sort of a lion salt. It looked like a miscue. And if Perry Saturn wasn't there... Jericho would have broke his neck. But. I uh. I, oh god. I, no, I didn't put a rating for this match. I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. Moving on. <clears throat> William Regal. Versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. This one was. Very entertaining for one reason. Just the the slightest one reason. This was a non-title match because William Regal was the European champion at the time. But this one was probably the second best match of the night. Just because. <clears throat> now, ref bumps tend to happen, right? I don't know who to fault for ref bumps usually, but um, Regal sort of shoulder blocked Austin and then Austin ran into referee Tim White. Whenever he ran into referee Tim White, though, um, White dropped like a sack of potatoes like he was made of glass. And um, when he did... Regal went outside the ring. He grabbed 
his European championship. And then he put it on the ring apron. And he tried to go inside the ring to use it on Austin while Austin was down from a, either it was like an eye poke or a, or like taking a ref bump to see if the ref was okay or something, something of that nature. Austin was acting like, you know, he was getting to his feet. What is my point? And, um, the camera never really pans into Austin to see what's, what's happening because I guess it's irrelevant because we're going to follow, um, Twinkle Toes William Regal around and whenever Regal gets back into the ring instead of hitting Austin with the title belt he notices that referee Tim White is about to get up and he how do I say this he um, gingerly gives Austin the belt and then lays down he pulled an Eddie Guerrero before Eddie Guerrero made this move even this episode right here of Monday Night Raw, uh, December 18th, 2000. He pulled an Eddie Guerrero before Eddie Guerrero ever pulled one. So now, instead of saying, oh, that's like Eddie Guerrero does, I'm going to say, no, that's like William Regal does. Because even though Eddie Guerrero made it famous, William Regal did it first. But I put it right here. Regal pulls an Eddie Guerrero and Austin gets disqualified. And then Austin stuns after trying to explain it to referee Tim White. He stuns the, the man and leaves. WWF Championship match, and actually this wasn't a match at all. It was a ruse, believe it or not, to get um, Mick Foley like close enough to them to wherever they could actually, I guess, hurt him. Um, yeah. So I didn't put a rating for this one just because it's it's not a match, but WWF Championship match where Vinnie Mac. Versus Kurt Angle. And after the match was over, which it never really started, um, Stephanie McMahon comes out and she's like, Stop, stop, don't assault Mick Foley anymore. She says, I have in my hands the proof that everyone needs, or something along the lines of that. And, um,. With a microphone in her hand and a smile on her face, she gives Vince McMahon a piece of paper that apparently gives him total control over the company once again. If you'll remember at the beginning of the episode, I said something along the lines of Linda McMahon, CEO of WWE, Vince McMahon chairman of the wwe they might have had like a 50 50 partnership or at least that's what the story said and at this time linda gave her partnership to foley kind of like when vince and rick flair were co-owners of the wwe and if you'll remember, back then, I did a pay-per-view review of the Backlash 2001 pay-per-view because Ric Flair doesn't know crap about being a referee. That much is clear. And it wasn't because of the missed um, three count. Or the fact that Austin's uh, foot was on the rope. He doesn't know how to officiate at all. Like, both men were down in that match. And instead of counting to ten, even the freaking crowd was counting to ten. Like, they knew what was up. Whenever both men are down, you're supposed to do the start the ten count. 
I don't I don't know. He, he wasn't even referee in whenever Austin had Undertaker in the um in the ropes. You're supposed to give him a five count, but instead, nope, no five counts here. But whenever Stephanie McMahon comes out for whatever reason that she comes out just to tell her daddy that he's got full control over his company again. They start smiling and they they start having a good old time and then out comes E&C, Edge and Christian, the former tag team champions. I say that again, the former tag team champions. And what do they got? They got chairs in their hands and they do a concerto, a standing concerto which deserves a standing ovation. And they do it to Mick Foley. Foley in the corner uh, looks like he's he's bloodied and he's bleeding. And it looks like his eye has been just... It looks like he pulled a damn aneurysm, if I'm being honest. Because the man looks like he's got blood in his eye or dripping out of his eyeball. And all of a sudden... Vince McMahon looks at Mick Foley and says, Foley, you're fired. Also, something else that I wanted to point out, most of you probably didn't see this. I mean, why would you go back and watch it? wrestling episode from 25 years ago so of course you didn't see it but whenever they come back from a commercial and I'm going to put that in air quotes because for some reason Peacock doesn't give me commercials but I'm glad I'm glad for it but whenever they come back from like commercials that they have to cut out what I mean by that is like they're editing and then they're like um well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're just joining us, here's what happened earlier in the night, you know, because, of course, they just came back from a commercial. So whenever they do that intermission type deal thing, they showed a clip from the Royal Rumble um, 1996 showing a clip from January 1996 Royal Rumble. Jerry Lawler had a snake crawling on him thanks to Jake the Snake Roberts uh Roberts apparently did a DDT to um old Jerry Lawler and then afterwards they had he had this snake in a burlap sack and he decided I guess to let let it crawl on Jerry Lawler Oh boy, content, that's what I said, and then I wrote it down, because it's funny. Nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to thank you for tuning in this week and listening to the Gut Wrench Podcast. I planned on having this out on Thursday, like every day, but you know what happened? I got pretty tired. Yeah, so I decided to go to sleep sleep on Wednesday night, and instead of recording this podcast, I decided that it was a good idea to go and catch some Z's. Thank you so much for joining me. We are approaching the 60-minute time limit that I've set for myself, and I try not to go over it too much. I know that we have so much to talk about, I'm starting to lose my voice, and I do apologize if halfway through this it sounded like I was screaming. Thank you so much for joining me, and until next Thursday, not Friday, even though today's Friday. Well, you're listening to this on Friday. What I mean to say is, until next Thursday, oh, and happy holidays would say Merry Christmas, but I don't want to be sued. So, happy holidays. Thank you so much for joining me. And that is...
a wrap.